fellow citizens. Let's, let's be let's be, be bluntly honest. Who's the heavyweight champion of the world? In my opinion, still and perhaps always will be the greatest. There's so much there. Okay, yeah. What are we doing, great champion? Your help tonight, our neighbor, the cry as on this spot. Pay attention to the voices that are doing the framing. What we're talking about is the consumerism. Withheld and allotted only. Nobody's 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 calling LeBron Black Jesus. Welcome back to Sports and Society on October 4th. This is Brad. I'm here with Kyle. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to trying to talk about things in a positive light (laughs) as opposed to... (laughs) Having so many things to talk about negatively, I'm I'm excited to see if we can spread some good in the world today. Yeah, you and I are just uh, uh, the people that folks go to for positivity. So you know, there's uh, clearly we're going to have something here. This is the worst self help podcast ever. (laughs) (laughs) We just highlight all the things that should like really bum you out. Yeah, if you're looking for the bright side of life, you are in the wrong, wrong spot. <laughs> oh, man. What have you been paying attention to? Well, so, I got up early to watch the London Marathon to this morning, which was uh, actually a really fun race, even though it wasn't the race I anticipated seeing. Uh, yeah, what happened? So, I, you know, I've been super hyped about this for weeks now because it was going to be Bekele versus Kipchoge, uh, the two fastest men in history, um, going up against each other. And then two days beforehand, uh, Bekele pulls out. He's got some calf stuff, I think, um, mm-hmm. that has come up. It's fascinating. Like, they can trace it back to, like, he had two long runs a little too close together, and that's what they seem to base it on. But wow. then, then in the race this morning, uh, really interesting in that uh, it's kind of the first off day we've ever seen Kipchoge have. Um he wound up coming in eighth uh, on the day and just didn't have it, which, um, as the commentator said, we'd, we've never seen this. I mean, this guy hasn't lost a marathon in years. Um, but really fascinating, both the women's race and the men's race came down to a kick in like the last quarter of a mile. Uh, and so like there were three guys that came in in the last, uh, uh, like within kind of 10 seconds of each other and the kick, uh, in the last 100 meters kind of decided it, which was pretty cool to see a major marathon decided that way. So uh, exciting racing to, to watch this morning, even though it was weird to see so few people out uh, in such a weird course to have designed. Mm-hmm. I understood it was a circuit. Yeah, like 1.4 or 1.6 miles around uh, St. James Park, I think, and they just did it over and over and over again. Right. Which, like, that's got to be a weird, like, these guys are used to running, like, different spaces. So, like, there's got to be a weird monotony and Mm -hmm. feeling about just going in circles there. Right. I I was interested, so I didn't watch it, but I pulled up the results and was looking at some things. And I think it's interesting that Kipchoge finished eighth. I wonder if that is any sort of commentary on the shoes or, like, what that means for the shoes. debate that has been happening and running ever since he wore those shoes to break the two hour mark. Mm -hmm. And then I, of course it's like to people within the running world, it's probably not that interesting of a conversation, but I love looking at the splits. And so (laughs) seeing that like they did the last five K in 15 minutes 
is just so astounding to me every time. And then when they get to the end and they are seemingly like fine, like they look like they could run another marathon. That always fascinates me. Well, yeah, like none of them, they all finish and they're just standing around wandering around. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, shouldn't you be like on the, when I run all out for a 5k, I'm like on the ground yeah afterwards you know exactly yeah it was yeah. it was interesting though because i think we saw uh part of that was that i think it was a more tactical race like i think these guys probably all could have gone you know a, a minute and a half faster probably if they mm. had been pushed but the pace was never really pushed throughout the race um right and so that was interesting um but yeah, and it, it's it's also just it's all mind blowing. You know, they um, there's some great YouTube videos out there of uh, treadmills at Kipchoge's pace. Um, mm-hmm. But also, my favorite, like to see these hyper fit like YouTube athletes that are out there, Nick Simmons mm-hmm. um, and the athlete special Zach Levitt that are out there. These guys are all like have all run you know fourteen thirty five k's and things like this in the past, right? And now they're like, we're going to, they came up with this, this challenge, the Kipchoge challenge, which was to run 200 meters, 400 meters, 800, 600, and uh, keep upping 200 meters at a time mm-hmm. and do it at Kipchoge's pace until you can't do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, and all these guys crapped out at about 1200 meters. And yeah. Like that these, and Kipchoge is going to hold that pace for a long time. Yeah. It's just mind-blowing yeah 42 kilometers or something like that yeah yeah (laughs) i so it's interesting the shoe stuff is interesting um i i attribute kipchoge's performance to just being a weird year um and so you know who knows what travel was like for folks coming in who knows Mm -hmm. what training is like you know you know normally these guys would have known their you know, so in March he would have been training already for the London or whatever, right. uh, and then that got all screwed up. And so, like, there's these guys. I think what we realize when you watch them is how much that training matters. Right. I think that's for those like folks like you and I who are just sat here, Joe Schmoes. Like, you know, so I when I ran my 5K last week, I clearly didn't prep well because the day of the race, like, I wasn't uh, I wasn't peaking. Right. And like I had actually run, felt stronger several days beforehand. And so like these guys, their training is also honed for that exact moment. And so, you know, I think a weird training cycle does weird things to these guys. And so even like, you know, that last 10% of their capacity, which you and I will never tap into Mm -hmm. is what really makes the difference in these races. And so I just think there's probably something in his, in his train that didn't go quite the way that he anticipated, but the shoes conversation is interesting. I mean, I don't really care. You know, I kind of think back to London Olympics and like everybody was talking about how they had made the track in a particular, like the composite was supposed to be faster than any composite they had ever run on before and yada, yada, yada. So like everybody kind of wants this to happen. And so, and yet this feels like, Oh, I don't know. This might be too far, even though this is exactly what yeah we all want in some way. So like, it doesn't bother me, although it is, I will say it's interesting. Sam, uh, my buddy here is just like, whatever, you know, yeah, it's not not as impressive as it could be. Right, right. Yeah. Who knows? I am still super stoked for Sheptagai to hopefully take down the 10K uh, mark here in a, in a week or so. 
Where is that going to be happening? So they've got like a special event, um, a special race in Valencia, Spain, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and it's also funny. I mean, like who knows? It was raining. It looked miserable for these guys. It did there, look today. absolutely miserable. And so I don't, who knows what the hell that does to someone. Right. Right. You know, even if you've got like a, the minorest cold, that's going to put you off of things. So. Right. Right. They talk about that in cycling a lot. I mean, these guys in the Peloton, when it rains and it throws it, like they're riding these bikes, which of course throw water everywhere. Right. And so they're all taking, eating like road water right. all day long. And then like, you know, half of them are going to get sick at some point. So right. Right. who knows? But how about yourself? What have you been paying attention to? Uh, I got a couple things. I think I can hit them real quick. Three things. Maybe I'll just hit them real quick and then see if you want to pick up any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss fans at the NBA finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems really lackluster and have not been intrigued enough to even make it to the end of a game, partly because I'm an old man and I don't want to stay up that late. But also it just, it feels just like another game in the bubble. And it's hard to know that anything is different. I will say that I feel as though Anthony Davis has that look. And it's definitely an eye test thing, right? But just that kind of craziness kind of look of like, I'm I'm not going to let this get away from me. And I was intrigued by that. Um, I don't, I have never seen it in LeBron like, I, like it existed in Kobe and Jordan, mm-hmm. but there was little glimpses in Anthony Davis of like, wow, you kind of look like Kobe and Jordan right now a little bit. And so by no means can we say he is at that level, right? That takes 15 years to kind of cultivate that fully. Uh, but I saw glimpses of it and I found that interesting. Um, Do you want to hit that? I wonder if you have NBA thoughts. Yeah, I do. Uh, not a ton because honestly, it's, I've kind of lost interest in it some ways. Um, we were talking before we got on air about podcasts, and I kind of have to confess that like a couple of my normal podcasts are NBA podcasts, and I just don't have interest in them right mm-hmm. now for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Part of that is the Lakers. I just I have no interest in really watching the Lakers. Um, yeah. But this question of uh, Anthony Davis is an interesting one because even in some of the highlights I've watched, I've noticed that there's like a fire there that I have not seen before. Right. Uh, and it is different. Like LeBron always felt very kind of late, like analytical when he would go to that dominant place. It never mm-hmm. felt like it was a fire driving him. Right. But it's also interesting, I think, because I don't think it's just those superstars that have that drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I think, and it, Let's be clear. Dame Lillard is a superstar, but he's not of that quite that same caliber as those other three guys we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And I, but I think he's got that same like angry. I am going to win this basketball game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even I think Giannis has it to a degree as well. It's just that that like when you have such a complete game as Anthony Davis, and you wrap in that anger. That's when I think you really see amazing things. And, right. you, are, of course, it also speaks to uh, how potentially unhealthy many of these things are. Right. I think what's – so just one more thing real quick, uh, which came to me, and I haven't really put thought to this before, but I think one of the things that I might find most compelling about Kobe is his ability to turn that off and on. Mm-hmm. Like Kobe on the court 
was an asshole, like most competitive guy in these stories about him, like outworking everybody and just on the court, not going to let it go away. But his also his ability, like after his career was over, but even like during his career, the stories are, I mean, like when he was not on the court, he didn't have that same, he wasn't like Jordan where it had to be that way all the time. Right. Which is an interesting, like, how do you create and maintain that separation in some ways? Right. Right. Yeah, that has me thinking of like, I would imagine Anthony Davis to some extent had this drive when he was at New Orleans. We just didn't see it or it didn't have the stage that it has now. Or maybe it is ramped up because he feels that he is on the stage now. And so it's like added another level to it. But I'm like you, I it takes me to the space of like, what is this thing that we're watching Um it even has echoes for me of like watching literally f- fighting as a sport. So like the UFC boxing kind of conversation of wanting to like ha- harm your opponent mm-hmm. or, right? or like bring, bring hurt upon them is, is the driving force that brings success and uh, how we feel about that. And if that's problematic kind of thing. Hmm. Well, it makes me wonder, too, perhaps about the difference between, you know, recently, and we can talk about this a little bit more when we're talking about our main topic, but over the summer, I've been, probably because I've been running myself, but, you know, I've also been obsessed with cycling for a while now. And so these two obsessions are these two interests of mine. I think what uh, part of what I find interesting about them is they're both a celebration of the human body, but mm-hmm. it, they're also about you know, things that weaken and challenge the human body. Mm-hmm. Whereas in some ways I look at something like basketball or football as something where it's glorifying the strength while also like the strength is what I don't like at the end of the basketball game, you aren't, you're, you're tired, but you're not physically, I feel like beat down in the same way that you're not finding your physical limits mm-hmm. in the same way that you are with running and cycling. And so there's like, I feel like there's in some ways a humility, mm-hmm. um, and those sports be- that comes from like seeing yourself weakened at the end of a competition yeah, that is perhaps not there in some of these other sports, which I wonder about that in terms of the mindset that goes into some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. That often makes me, that m- makes me think now and it has made me think before of what it means to play a sport where you have to do it again the next night mm-hmm. kind of thing. And like mm-hmm. how that limits or, hampers how the game is played so you think about baseball is the one that always comes to mind for me of having to play 162 games in a season and then the other one that always pops up for me is i i can't fathom what nhl players go through with their body i feel like that's the most taxing sport that is alongside playing so many games i might i might suggest that soccer is up there yeah Uh you know, these guys that go out and like sprint for 90 minutes and then have to do it again two or three days later. Yes. Um, Like it's not the same full body thing, but some of the same wear and tear I have to imagine is there. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Anything else on your mind? Yeah. So I was like interested that Honda has announced that they're leaving formula one. Hmm. And 
that seems like an innocuous, not all that important thing to talk about, but it is kind of interesting if you dig in a little bit and it's partly for what it means for car manufacturing, for climate change, for how these massive corporations are approaching the way the world is working right now. So there, with Honda leaving, there are only three engine manufacturers left in Formula One. So it's wow. Mercedes, Renault, and Ferrari. And so every car on the grid has to decide if they're going to have a, a engine from one of those three manufacturers. And it's also intriguing that Red Bull has used a Honda engine the last few years, and Red Bull is seemingly the only team that's um, competing with Mercedes right now. So apparently, I mean, the first glimpse of this is that like now Mercedes is even more dominant, which is interesting. But Honda was very like clear in what they're doing. And the CEO of Honda's statements were like, Formula One is not where the world is headed. And it is not what we're thinking about at Honda. And if car manufacturers are thinking this way, then they are outdated and they're missing it. And so there is just, it's impossible for us at Honda to justify being part of this anymore. Uh, and so I, that's what feels like a big statement to me hmm. uh, is, is it, it's essentially saying like, this isn't where the world is going. There's still massive amounts of money here, but uh, it, it's not what we're interested in. So that feel that feels significant to me. Yeah, which makes me wonder how much is that uh, an economic decision versus anything else? Like, right? In some ways, is uh, is Honda just not seeing a return on investment for their time and energy there? Right. Uh, and if so, yeah, I, it makes business sense to pull out. But I'm intrigued by that. Uh, what kind of to unpack that uh, with them a little bit more? Well, that's where I th I think two things are coinciding, and that's what's interesting to me, I guess, as two people that have like studied this stuff a lot. It, it's it's truly um it, it feels like an inflection point for me uh, of like the the business and the movement coming together, mm -hmm. and then that opens up that whole conversation of how do you feel about that. Mm -hmm. So at any rate. Uh, the last thing I was going to mention, I, I was curious if fans ever unionized in order to get sports to our screens cheaply, <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> and it partly comes from YouTube TV raising its prices, but it really comes from Premier League moving to Peacock. A lot of their Premier games are like mm -hmm. their like, most interesting games of the week. And just the amount of power in that uh, of taking something that was readily available and now putting a price tag on it and saying, if you want this still, you, you're going to have to pay even more for it. Mm -hmm. It's just like, wow, I had, I had no say in that, you know? And as one who feels invested in that league, it, it's, it's interesting. I wonder how many people around the world are feeling that way. Oh, a number, I imagine. Um, but it also, I, um, yeah, I do wonder like, what's the, What's the final straw there? Like, um, well, that's what they're they're exploiting our inability to communicate with each other. That being fans, mm -hmm. and so that's what's interesting to me is like, okay, what's the counter to this? Where is power in this situation? And I feel like power would be in being able to communicate with other people that are pissed off by that. 
So that's a minor. That's just a gripe. That's not all that interesting. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm I'm just sitting here wondering, like, well, so if we did, if you organized, um, and like you said, we're not going to watch, mm-hmm. um, then the league, you know, they're like, well, we're not. Uh, if you don't watch, then we don't get the ad revenue. But the league doesn't really care about the ad revenue. They can only care in the sense that the network is the ad revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, real reality is what we're asking for is each league to have their own ability to do this and not go through the networks. Because the networks, I, I don't feel like, have the capacity to limit prices in some ways. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, or maybe the maybe the struggle is to just make the the uh, uh, advertisers pay for everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, shall we talk about our main topic for the Let's day? Let's do it. All right. So today, in our attempt to be positive, we are going to talk about the three. We each have three things that um, we think COVID has positively shown about the sports industry does that does that sound like the right way to frame it Kyle I like it okay um so uh yeah so do you want to start us off you have anything particularly compelling to share sure I think for me one thing that has been refreshing and a breath of fresh air is that baseball is seemingly lightening up a little bit and while it is true that The NBA is obviously ahead of all the other leagues, in my opinion, when it comes to engaging with broader societal issues. It is also true that, in my opinion, baseball has been like, maybe we should just put them in tiers. NBA is probably in the top tier with some other leagues to some extent, but baseball has always been in the bottom tier, (laughs) and if not at the bottom of the bottom tier. And I think that is both on the social justice side of things, but it's also in just like the manner in which the game is played and expected to be played. And I feel that post-COVID, there has been an awareness in baseball that they need to get outside of that on the social justice side. But there also seems to be a lot of space opening up for the game being played differently and kind of getting out from underneath all the bullshit of baseball, all these like unspoken rules and essentially patriarchal bullcrap is I feel like the simplest way to say it. And I think we have to acknowledge a couple things. One is with Korean baseball being the first baseball that came back, I feel like the way the game is open in Korea is kind of like on a very minor level. I I think it opened up for a lot of MLB fans to see the game played a little bit differently with a little more flair as it is in Korea. But it's also, I think, given space for Latin players uh, to play the game how they want to play it. And the fact that all the best players in the league right now are Latin players, in my opinion, uh, has also opened up the game a little bit. So, It just feels that baseball is opening up a little bit. Obviously, MLB still has a ton of issues to deal with, but I I have felt a little bit of flair come into baseball, and that's been exciting to see. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. I have not watched enough baseball to know, although it is interesting. I have seen the random tweet or whatever pop up about uh, uh, Tatis and mm-hmm. how incredible he is to watch. Right. Um, and then the only really thing I pay attention to in baseball is the uh, is the expanded playoff stuff. Do you have feelings about that? Yeah, I think it was a great thing. I think it, yeah, very pro expanding the playoffs. And I, I think the three game series was a great way to do it too. Uh, there's no reason for those series to be seven games. Um, so I, I loved it. I it, it was an acknowledgement that like baseball is kind of silly and anyone can win a three game series, but so be it kind of thing. It's exciting. Hmm. And so it, it also felt like a, a rejection of the, well, we've got to do it this way and it's got to take a long time. And that's the nature of this game. And it's like, no, let's just play three games and see who wins and move on. And it, it brought eight more fan bases into the playoff sphere, which is like the most exciting part of the game. Hmm. So I, it didn't feel gimmicky to me at all. It felt like them acknowledging that the way they've done it for a really long time is kind of silly. And so do you think that uh, you want that to continue into the future? Absolutely. I also want them to only play 60 game seasons. (laughs) I think the 162 games is also silly in my opinion. (laughs) It was much more fun to have it all in one little space like this. I have to confess to struggling with the expanded playoff stuff, partly because I think it goes back to my feeling that in American sports, we care too much about the playoffs Mm -hmm. Uh, and like i kind of want to go back to a day when a division pennant meant something right um and like baseball was really the only league where that felt like that was still kind of the case and so Mm -hmm. this feels like it dilutes a little bit more that being said uh, i mean you got to see your reds in the playoffs which i mean when was the last time you got to see that so yeah 2012 (laughs) when they lost three straight and that ended my interest in baseball. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. But what about you? What's your first positive thing? So this is kind of meta, although I think if it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition in that it brings out the seriousness conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the big thing for me is, you know, we're kind of dating back to our first COVID sports podcasts i think one of the big questions we had was you know is this going to make sports feel less important or is it going to make sports feel more important by their absence Mm -hmm. Um, and for me i've been really happy to find personally that i just uh have been very fine and in fact uh, maybe happier not having a ton of sports to pay attention to like and none of the sports that i am paying attention to feel serious in any way shape or form they feel like the game that i want them to Mm be uh and so i find that to be just a very positive personal development and i hope that that's the case for other folks as well yeah yeah i i so obviously i had this too and it's the crossover we probably could have predicted but (laughs) i think for me i i tried to articulate it in terms of a collective consciousness and I think it's collective consciousness in a positive light in the sense that what has been planted in all of our minds is that these things that feel so institutionalized aren't actually all that institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And I feel that when I 
distill down what's going wrong in the world, I often wind up at a place where I say that we believe too much that these institutions are as substantial as they are and that they can't be changed and that they this is the natural state of things. And so I think what is really helpful here is that we're learning about how the Anthropocene works a little bit more, or at least being reminded of how it's always been working. And so I would extend that even more to say that like, that we are so dominated by corporations is because corporations hinge on convincing us that things are natural. And this is like how the world's supposed to work. And it's Mm. just cool like operating within a structuralist way. And so what I find in this being interrupted is proof of, to use more academic terms, but kind of proof of the postmodernist argument that these things aren't as rigid as we think they are. We just have Mm. to find where the gaps are and kind of exploit them for good. And so I feel like this exploits one of those gaps. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I think... Uh, additionally, I think it's also shown uh, how these these pillars of power, pillars of power. Um, I, I don't know where that phrase comes <laughs> from, but <laughs> feels very probably sort of probably political. some book both of us read like eight years ago. These pillars of power must <laughs> be torn down. So, yeah, um, uh, but you know they often feel like well, there's nothing we can do about FIFA. I mean, they're just so powerful. They're so big. Um, and yet, I think what we've seen—you're right—is that they're they're not uh, 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 to build on what you're saying. I think even more what I find is that they're inept, mm-hmm. uh, and we kind of always, you know, the corruption is an indication of that, um, but we don't often like see them publicly being inept. Uh, and so, s- being able to, you know, see, um, you know, the NBA being the possible exemption because they were really forthright and like open about what they were doing to see the NFL just kind of flounder and be like, Oh, right. uh, oh right. and to see uh, major league baseball publicly like screwing the pooch over and over and over again, right. um, has been like, uh, I think, uh, makes them all seem vulnerable in a way that, uh, I want them, which perhaps a negative thing in that it, uh, that vulnerability usually results in them reinforcing their position, uh, in a negative way, but uh, it does uh, hopefully give us uh, some leverage to think about a, a better future, knowing how how weak they are, really. Yeah. And how there are forces in the world that are just a thousand times stronger mm-hmm. than that institutional power, which often feels like the most powerful thing in the world. And it is to a large extent, but climate change and COVID are proving much more powerful. Indeed. Yeah. Well, what else you got on your list? Um, well, what's your second one? You go second. Okay. Because that was my All second right. one too. Um, so I guess I'll build on this. I think this is a little bit different from what we were talking about there, but um, I think in the same vein, so maybe we can talk about it now. Um, but my second thing is uh, about learning the hypocrisy of everything. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that laying that bare for everyone to see is uh, is really valuable. Um, particularly, I think maybe the chief example for me uh, is the Big Ten football. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
uh, you know, this is the league that saw its players having heart issues after COVID. Um, and we've now seen that like every major football program in the country has had COVID run through them at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, there's probably more players that we don't know about that are dealing with this, but the big 10 saw that and was like, Oh crap. Uh, there's a chance someone's going to die as a part of this. We need to shut it down. Uh, and then they saw other leagues not doing that. And then they said, wait a minute. Oh, oh crap. We're risking all this money and no one's coming with us. Right. So instead of staying strong and valuing human life over the bottom line, they've now caved and are going to play football again. Uh, and so that kind of hypocrisy and like that being shown bare, you know, hearing, you know, to go to a broader political level to hear somebody like Chris Christie saying, you know, uh, people are going to have to die for the sake of the economy. Um, uh, and then that overlapping into football and these other sports where uh, it's clearly not even as important as the quote unquote economy is um, that people are going to have to potentially die for that. That's uh, I've found to be a very valuable tool for uh, uh, diminishing the uh credibility of the powers that be that have caused so much havoc in the sports world for so many years. So that, that made me think of a whole bunch of stuff, but I, I guess I, I think we'll look back and there will be examples that hopefully are lauded and uplifted wherein organizations, institutions, companies, entities did not breakdown and said like no this is we're, we're sticking with this and i don't know i i think of a lot of school districts around the country that have resisted the pressure to go back before they're ready and have resisted resisted it in the name of serving the students that are hardest to reach which are the poorest students and so i i think of like things like that as being a real positive and so, yeah, it would have been awesome if some of these football conferences would have held out. But it, it, like you said, it, it at least seeing the hypocrisy of it, I think, is a valuable thing, uh, hopefully. Uh, but seeing that it's even possible to stand up, maybe not didn't happen in football conferences, but I, it might be ha- happening elsewhere. And I think hopefully when the dust settles, we'll, we'll see some of these organizations and say like, wow, that was really admirable. Well, I do think we've seen some of the smaller leagues mm-hmm. shut it down, particularly thinking about college leagues. Um, and that makes me think about um, the money of it all mm-hmm. and like how I don't think – you know, I don't think the Big Ten, the people running the Big Ten are bad people, right. but that it, when money gets involved, bad decisions are made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it just kind of breaks down that bottom line of like, you know, if we remove money from this, uh, everybody is better off in some form or fashion. Right. right. Yeah. Anyway. Well, what's your uh, what's your last one? My third one is the joy of finding other things to watch. And in particular, a couple of these sports having to find other ways to play and even kind of discovering other ways to share what's cool about these sports, in my opinion. 
So three examples that come to mind are all golf related for me. Uh, the first one was disc golf. So being introduced to the online disc golf world was really fun for me and feel like and hope that their platform has been extended a lot by this. I get the impression it is, but you might know more about that. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is two versions of playing the, the game of actual golf, ball golf, as they call it, right? Um, so playing ball golf differently. One is the rounds that were played in foursomes with all the players mic'd up before each tournament started was like maybe like multiple times more enjoyable for me to watch than an actual golf tournament. Because I think what I am in, and I'm speaking for myself, I don't know how the golf world at large feels about it, but I'm interested in shots and hitting shots and hitting shots in the context of what someone else is doing. So one way I think of like playing the game of golf is paying attention to strokes gained and strokes lost. And what happens is when you're playing those smaller matches, and especially if they're kind of lighthearted, the risk reward quotient changes. And so you're kind of willing to take higher risks because it's lower stakes. And then you're also willing to kind of push the, push the envelope on what the data says. So when pros play a round of golf, they really aren't paying attention to like birdies, pars, and bogeys. They're paying attention to strokes gained on the field. And so that's how they're making decisions on what shots to hit. And in those lighthearted rounds, you got to hear how they were thinking. So like, wh what shot am I going to hit? And you got to hear their thinking on and then watch it play out of like how they're gauging risk reward. And in a lower stakes space, that's more fun to me that they're like pushing back against data and that the strokes gained was only about against two other guys as opposed to mm -hmm. a field of 125 players. So it just made it more interesting to me. And it also just lowered the stakes of sports, which I'm always all for. The third part of that, and I sent a video to you, I think is uh, Kyle Berkshire is a long drive champion that has been posting a lot of really interesting videos on YouTube. And essentially what he does is he gets invited to play these famous courses because these famous courses want to come, want him to come and play to show what happens to the course when someone can hit a drive 400 yards and how it changes, like how we watch sports. So it's kind of exploitative in that way, but what he does with it is really awesome. He's just this, really kind kind of gentle guy but he's absolutely dominating these courses in fascinating ways but it's also true that he's trying to make it as a professional golfer now and so you see from my perspective this really interesting thing or this really interesting balance of technology skill and negotiating the game that has always existed and so the things that are like most prevalent and like shaping how golf is played are all very prevalent in these videos. And so he just narrates himself playing 18 holes. Uh, and it, it's, it's really interesting. So different ways to watch, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I love all of that. And I think, um, you know, one of the refrains for us as a whole throughout this however long we've been doing this podcast too many too damn long um uh has been about 
the humanizing of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think what, what we see is, uh, is that YouTube has allowed sports to be a lot more human than they ever were yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, and so I think golf is a particularly interesting place for me for that because I've always kind of struggled with the fact that all golfers seem like assholes yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Uh, and so getting to see them be like, Hey, you know, that's actually a decent guy. Mm-hmm. Um, or like relate to him in some ways uh, uh, makes a huge difference. I feel like right. in the enjoyment of this really elitist sport in some ways. Right. Um, so, and I, I, I think that goes over to other sports as well. I mean, um, you know, there were some flops. Uh, the NBA horse competition comes to mind for mm-hmm. yeah. a really terrible way to engage <laughs> yeah. in that, yeah. in that mindset. But um I, I have agreed. Uh, I would very much agree. And I think YouTube is just such an interesting space um, mm-hmm. for that. Because uh, I think that um, – so this guy you sent me here, um, what's his name? Kyle again? Berkshire. Kyle Berkshire. So he, uh, he's uh, – the one you sent me is a 30K, 30,000 subscriber special. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's – 30,000 people that have signed up to get notifications when he puts out new videos, which means he'll probably, uh, if my understanding of YouTube is up to date, he'll probably get, you know, 15,000 views on any given video. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not that many in the grand scheme of YouTube where you've got folks that have got, uh, you know, PewDiePie's got 10 million people watching everything that he puts out and yet these folks can find niches and really strong and supportive communities in those 15,000 folks, which is an interesting, just an interesting kind of, uh, they're not big, but in the same mindset, like, you know, 15,000 folks watching you play around a golf is a lot of people watching you. Play right. Around a golf. Right. Uh, and so then of course you're getting into brand deals and that range and stuff like that, which is an interesting right. Stuff. So yeah, a lot, a lot of fascinating stuff. I myself, I've been interested in the running mindset. So I've been particularly uh, fascinated by Ten Man Elite. Are you familiar with these no. guys? So apparently, this is the first team, full team that Adidas has ever sponsored. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're led by a guy named Drew Hunter, um, who's kind of considered the best high school runner we've ever had in the U.S. by many. Um, I don't know enough to know whether that's an inflammatory statement, but there seems to be enough that would suggest that that's the case. And they've got like, uh, and it's interesting because they're not like Nike and that like not everybody on the team is absolutely stellar. They kind of have a broader swath of folks on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, But they've kind of set up a different model. They've got a YouTube channel. They're doing like, uh, coaching stuff which some people find distasteful but it's also like an interesting revenue stream for these guys which have always been kind of forced to do whatever their sponsor says to make money in the past so that's interesting um and they're just they live uh you know they live kind of a fun life in boulder colorado Mm -hmm. you know working out uh running super fast and so like you know they did a fun thing where they're like no one has broken four minutes in a mile in South Dakota. So they went to South Dakota <laughs> during quarantine and like Drew Hunter ran up, ran a three fifty seven or oh, something wow. like that. And it was just like, that's, that's pretty dope yeah. that you, you guys are, you're hanging out with your buddies. Uh, and it's like, it was like just to see these guys. Uh, so Drew is interesting. Cause he's like, I think he's the youngest member of the group. He's only like 21 or 22, but he's clearly, 
I think the most talented person, mm -hmm. which is like this weird dilemma. So he's the leader, even though he's not the oldest and most experienced guy. Right. And so I think, I think this was a month into quarantine. They released a video that um, was like, you know, we don't have any races. All the races have been canceled. We don't know what we're doing with ourselves, but you know what? There's this road, this like this notorious road that is just miserable to run on apparently. And we're going to go out and we're going to do it and we're going to do it fast because we need to suffer right. for a little while. And it's like, I love that. I love, I just love yeah. everything about that. Uh, and so I, I, I fully agree. Like the way that we are getting to see a different side of these athletes, uh, a more human side of them mm -hmm. uh, and engage with them. And also not just more human, but also I, I really like, like you said, the, the insights into um, practice rounds. So like that's, uh, Jomez Pro has now started doing their two commentators, Jeremy Coling and Pat Ule or Paul Ulibar. They'll go out and film a practice round with them before the tournament where they are just absolutely going at each other, like joking wise, but also breaking down the shots that they're going to have to make and stuff like right. that, which is just, it's a lot of fun to watch. Right, that. right. Yeah, that's all fascinating because I, I just think that – I don't know. I, I list it as a positive like you do because I think there's something about it just being fun. And I feel like the fun is elevated when it's outside the confines of those traditional competitions. Uh, and not only that, I I feel like for us, and I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but like I get just as much enjoyment, maybe more than I do of watching like a Game 7 um, like when I really zoom out and look at myself, I'm like, I think I had more fun watching that one guy play that round on YouTube and got more out of it and feel better about my life and myself than I did watching a game seven, um, which is a big realization for me personally. So I think there's kind of two thoughts about that for me. One being, I think you're right. Uh, I kind of trace it back to the money aspect mm -hmm. of it. Like, I think if we look at what we enjoy about sports is getting people to do things that are beyond what we can mm -hmm. do, like uh, testing the human body and, you know, taking this game that we enjoy and can play and making it, doing it way better than mm -hmm. we can, uh, seeing excellence. And so getting to see that when it's not about the, the money and the commercialization of it, I've, it does feel really good. Right. Um, but I do think that there's something there too, perhaps to look for in the future. I don't know that we've seen enough to know some of these things, but like, um, you know, I think when I am, uh, you know, let's say if, you know, I know JaVale had a, uh, a, a his vlog right. in the bubble and stuff like that, but I, uh, JaVale is not a leading character in the Blake right. story. Right. But like, if we were, if, um, if, Jimmy Butler had a YouTube channel um, and we could watch like all the preparation a, because I just know Jimmy Butler's YouTube channel would be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, his content would be amazing. Uh, but like, if we got to watch that, I think that would make the game sevens much yeah. more enjoyable yeah. because now all of a sudden we feel like we know a little bit more about him. We know what he put in to get there. Um, and we like, so now it's not just like, these amazing standalone athletes. It's almost like, you know, my buddy Jimmy is playing in this tournament. We should go watch him right, play. Right, right, right. Which I, I think, uh, I think that's the kind of sports that we want to participate in. In some exactly. ways, exactly. You know. 
I like going on Strava and seeing that you you're like oh under under eight minutes today on that in that five k good for <laughs> good for like and I yeah. know that like that's that's you pushing it so that feels good right right so, exactly you know yeah there's a there's force in that there's there's real power mm-hmm. in that uh, of the good kind I feel like yeah. Well, my, my last one is pretty much the same, although I did take a little bit of a different angle on it and just frame it as getting time to explore different sports uh-huh. um, as well as watching them differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, not having basketball, you know, all of a sudden there's a lot of time for running or whatever other uh, little sports I decided to check out during this time. So that was kind of fun to have – you know, a little bit more freedom and energy to explore some different, uh, different places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Running for me too was part of it. I I got really intrigued in the, um, Oh, I forget it now. Flow track. Who's that the channel, the running channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, their coverage of college cross country teams is so fun to watch for some reason. (laughs) Uh, just seeing how they go about the science part of it, but also like, trying to coach these 18 and 19 year old kids. Um, and then the times they're running all of it together makes for just really interesting video watching. Mm-hmm. I also, I will say this is a very much a sideline, but not having like the summer break in soccer where all the soccer stuff is about transfers was really nice as well. It was nice. Like, not here. There's, there's, there's still stuff happening on all the transfer fronts, but because there are games, the games are taking precedence in the reporting, which is just a really nice, nice change of pace. So anyway, um, well, you got anything else? That's all I got. All right. Well, I have one last question for you here and we can, we can talk about this more off air, but I wanted to pose it to you on air. Uh, Do you have any interest in the uh, Indian premier league at the moment? A little bit. I have been intrigued by how they have gone about setting up a bubble Mm -hmm. and learning more about what life is like inside that bubble, but I haven't given time yet to exploring it further. Yeah, I think I'd like to to watch a game. Okay. I'm intrigued enough to want to watch a game. Okay. So. All right. Maybe this week we can make that yeah. happen. Maybe so. Okay. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. We uh, appreciate uh, all the time. Give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this, but uh, we'll be back next week. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, man. To pay attention to the voices that are doing the framing. What we're talking about is the consumerism. Withheld and allotted only. Nobody's, nobody's, calling, nobody's, nobody's calling LeBron Black Jesus. I was a huge Dikembe Mutombo fan.